Well, it's an exciting weekend. It's, it's beautiful out. It's really nice weather. Hopefully, you guys are able to enjoy it so far. If that's any kind of reference to what the summer is going to be like, it's going to be a great summer. Those youth camps are going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to, to that youth camp that we're running as well. Um, it's a great weekend. Again, so hopefully, you guys are capturing it, taking advantage of it. It's party season. We celebrated my, my dad's birthday yesterday with my family. We had a nice little party out in the sun. Um, got a little sunburnt as well. Party season just around the corner, and it got me thinking about um, birthday parties and surprise parties. And we're not big surprise party families, but some people have surprise parties pretty often. And you think about a surprise party, if you're the one that's being surprised, you likely don't know that it's going to happen. And during the day, whether it's your birthday or the event, you're kind of like, man, people forgot about my birthday or, oh, this day is not as good as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a blast. We're going to celebrate me, but it doesn't seem like it's happening. And then someone invites you out to an event and you're like, I don't really want to go out. I'd rather stay home. I don't want to do this. And they try and convince you and you start getting frustrated. You're like, fine, I'll go. And then you show up to the event and then boom, everyone's there to celebrate you. Your frustration turns into joy. And you're like, man, if I would have just known from the start that this was going to be enjoyable, I wouldn't have been frustrated. I wouldn't have been angry. And um, your frustration turns to enjoyment. And as we look into scripture today, we're going to see something kind of similar. And it's that the Bible teaches us that suffering or trials is a time where Christians can actually find joy. Christians can find joy in their suffering. It's an interesting idea. And it raises the question, how can Christians possibly find joy in suffering? How can Christians find joy in trials? How could you possibly say that? We're going to be spending our time in, in James chapter one. So if you have a Bible, you can flip open to James um, one. That's where we're going to be. Just a little background on the letter. The letter is written by James. It's pretty easy to remember. Um, and James was a child of Mary and Joseph. So he was like a half brother of Jesus. And you can imagine what kind of upbringing that would be like. Imagine your mom looks at you disobeying. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying, mom. <laughs> you know. But interestingly enough, James was a skeptic of Jesus and his ministry um, until after the resurrection of Christ, when he, he saw Jesus resurrected and he was like, wow, repented and became a big um, proponent in the early church of teaching and preaching. And this letter is, is part of his ministry of realizing that Jesus was the Messiah and is the Messiah. So this letter is meant to be an opportunity for him to teach other Christians at the time, all scattered around, how to put their faith into practice. And you can put your faith into practice in many different ways, James teaches. But one of the big themes throughout this letter is that faith should have action even in times of suffering. We need to have a proper perspective. We need to live differently even during trials and hardships. And this is true throughout. So we're gonna start in chapter one, but before we jump into it, I'm just gonna pray for us as we read God's word. Dear Lord, we thank you for that, that you've given us your word. We thank you that you have loved us. We thank you that we can learn. We can learn about you. We can learn how to draw closer to you. We thank you that there's value in life's circumstances, in our, our joyful seasons, and we can actually find joy in our suffering. What an interesting question or interesting idea that that is. I pray that you can teach us, 
to find joy even in the hard times and that we can lean on you and know more about you every, every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's, let's read together in, in James 1, starting in verse two. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we're called right away, we're commanded and called to accept joy when faced with trials in life. That's what it's saying here. When your faith is tested, when you come upon hardships and suffering, isn't the language kind of interesting that's used there? When you meet trials of various kinds, it's saying. The word almost refers to bumping into someone or meeting a stranger for the first time. It's unexpected. You weren't prepared for it, but it happens. It falls into your lap. And I think that's kind of true of suffering and trials that we experience in life. No one really prepares to suffer. No one's really going into life expecting and, and looking forward to suffering. It just happens. It comes out of the blue. You don't know exactly when it'll come upon you. However, we, we know that trials do happen in the rhythms and routines of life. We all experience trials differently. And James says, when you meet these trials in life, be joyous about it. Be joyous about it. How, how can you do that? What would that look like? What would that look like? And the trials of various kinds could be the loss of a loved one, could be family or friends moving away, losing a job, being persecuted for your faith. Maybe it's like what my wife and I have been processing lately with miscarriages. Maybe it's a child that has walked away from the faith or doesn't wanna to talk to you. Maybe it's being put in a bad group for a project or getting bullied by others. Various kinds, all trials of various kinds find joy. Whatever it is, use it as a source of joy. And the question that we're gonna to cover today is how can Christians possibly use suffering and trials as a source of joy? These are times where we want to find anything but joy. And the, the text in James 1 gives us four ways or four reasons as to why Christians can and should find joy in the midst of their suffering. And the first one that we've already read is because suffering produces steadfastness, that's what we're looking at. When your faith is tested, it causes you to endure. You're forced to endure when you face suffering. Suffering is something that requires you to remain steadfast in because there is a temptation to avoid it and to run from it, right? There's a temptation that I don't wanna be in this moment. I don't wanna experience this. I wanna be anywhere but here. Now I've had a variety of cars in my life and my very first car was, was pretty fast. And from that car, I learned that I should probably have slow cars. Some of you, some of you may have learned that as well. And I drive a pretty slow car now and I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's what I need to do. When you have an older, slower car, there's really not that much of a temptation to speed because one, you can't, you can't really drive fast. And two, any senior citizen in a Honda Accord can beat you in a street race without even trying. Right? So the temp, but when you're cruising around in a, a sports car or a, a newer, faster car, the temptation is a little bit different, right? The temptation is different. It's only present in certain circumstances. And when life is going well and you're called as a Christian, count it joy, find joy in this moment. You're like, well, yeah, of course I am. I'm happy. Life is going well. Why couldn't I find joy? But when life's going poorly or when trials come upon your life, you're thinking, man, I don't want to feel joy. I wanna run from this. I wanna go somewhere else. These circumstances make me feel despair. I don't feel joy. That's, that's a hard ask. How could I possibly find joy 
in this moment. Yet James calls us to find joy because it produces something. There is value and it produces steadfastness or endurance in your faith is what we see. Why should you be joyful if someone hits your car? That's a pretty bad situation. Why should you be joyful when your kids are testing your patience yet again? Why should you? Or your neighbors are being loud in the middle of the night. How can you find joy in these times? Because by doing so, you are building a faith that endures, just very simply. Now, my mind often goes to the extreme trials or the extreme sufferings. And I think back to the early church and how many people were killed for their faith early on. You think, man, how could they endure such hardship? How did they, how did they go through that? What was their perspective? And we get a little bit of insight into some early texts like the diary of Perpetua when her and her friends were killed in the arena for refusing to denounce Christianity. They were killed for their faith. And how could they do that? And in their diary, we see that the reason they were able to go through such persecution or such trials is because they had a proper perspective in their faith. They knew that it was happening for a reason. The pain that they're going through is not meaningless. It's not a waste. They didn't die in vain. Now it didn't make their pain any easier. It didn't make it enjoyable, so to speak, but they realized there's a power perspective that I must have and it's that this has value and it has a purpose. Now we're rarely faced with such extreme situations, right? We, we don't, not many of us have had a gun to our head and told to denounce Christianity or be killed, but we do experience trials regularly, all of us do. The call is still the same, regardless of how extreme it is, of various kinds. What is your perspective on hardship? What perspective do you have? The budget's really tight this month. Don't know if we're gonna make it. What's your perspective? Someone else got the raise or the promotion that I was supposed to get. What's your perspective on that? There's disunity in our family. What's your perspective? Someone flakes on a meeting again when you were supposed to meet up. Oh, what's your perspective on that? In all things, we should have a perspective that our trials have value. Our pain has a purpose, what we see. Even if the value is just as simple as producing a faith that endures. That's what we see right away. I think about movies like Hacksaw Ridge or Unbroken, these stories based upon real life situations where these people were put, put through such extreme situations and they endured and they endured and they kept going and they were given a faith that lasted even in times of war and imprisonment. They didn't give up. Does this mean that as Christians, we all have to walk around with big smiles on our face, act like nothing ever phases us, nothing ever bothers us, nothing's ever wrong? You know, hey, I heard that your parents just passed away. I'm sorry for your loss. No, it's fine. I'm joyful and happy during this time. Or I heard you got into a car accident and you're injured. I hope you're okay. No, it's fine. I'm choosing to be happy. The Bible says to be joyful in every situation, so I'm happy about it. You're not a robot. We aren't robots, we experience emotions, we experience different parts of life. You're not expected to act like everything is fine, sunshine and roses all of the time. But even in the middle of your pain, when you're going through your trial, your temptation, your suffering that you're experiencing, you should know that it's not meaningless. It's not for no reason. It's not a waste of time. There is purpose. Where there are trials of various kinds without purpose, there's despair. 
right? There's depression, there's anxiety. What value would the loss of a loved one have if there's no meaning? What value would there be to endure and struggle through fighting against temptation if there is no value and meaning in that? Not only does our trial have purpose, but our trials have a good purpose. When we experience and endure through these moments, the purpose is that God provides us with the ability to endure in a faith that is strong. Trees are a really great practical example of this. In the past 100 years or so, humans have created forests for the sake of cutting them down. You think about that, that we, we build these forests, these trees, we wanna get them as big and as fast as we can, that way we can cut them down and we can use the wood. So they're babied, they're planted the perfect distance apart, they get the right amount of water and sunlight all of the time, and they're cut down and used. Now that's, that's great and we're able to, to use more trees, it's helpful, but most woodworkers or people that use wood for projects actually prefer what are called old growth trees. They're not these baby trees, but they're trees that have grown naturally in forests and they've endured the hardships of life. They've gone through years where there's minimal water for the trees or there's strong winds or terrible conditions that they go through or other trees are blocking their sunlight so it's not a great year for them and they have smaller tree rings. But over time, these trees are much better because they're stronger. When you cut them down and use them for projects, they're less likely to crack, they're less likely to warp. People prefer these trees. Why? Because they've endured the regular natural rhythms of life. They've gone through those hardships. They've experienced those. And in a similar way, our faith, when we go through those hardships, when we experience trials, we're built a faith that endures, a faith that is strengthened by God. God's gonna provide steadfastness. He will provide endurance for your faith if you find joy in the trials. So when the next waves of life come crashing in, you're more prepared than you were before. There is value in your circumstances. And you may not realize it, but the endurance of your faith can actually benefit others too. It's not just about yourself. Church is not an individual sport. We're a collective family that works together to build one another up. I have been blessed, encouraged, strengthened by your trials, just like you have been blessed, encouraged, and strengthened by the trials of others as well. When we see what you are going through and we see the hardships and the endurance that you have in your faith, it's encouraging. It's helpful to us. And the next generation and those around you appreciate this as well. They do. That way you can say, you know, I went through that too. I remember experiencing that. I remember feeling like this was the end of my life, like I wasn't gonna make it through, and yet somehow I did. Somehow God saved me, somehow God pulled me through. Those testimonies are an encouragement to one another, and we can use our trials to benefit each other. Now we can forget this at times, and it often plays out when you hear about the problems or struggles of someone younger than you. I see this a bit in youth ministry, where you hear something that a younger kid is like, man, this is what I'm dealing with, this is a really big deal to me. And if you heard it, you would be like, man, that's, that's the biggest struggle they have going on right now. That's what they're dealing with. Like, I would love if that was the biggest problem I had going on. But this is this huge to them because they never experienced it before. So how do you respond? You say, man, if you knew what the real world was like, you wouldn't worry about that. If you knew what real problems are, you wouldn't feel that way. No, we wouldn't say that. That's not helpful. That doesn't benefit anyone. Doesn't do any, any good. What we do is we recognize this is the biggest thing that they have yet to deal with in their life. 
So we wanna help them and encourage them, whether it's their first breakup or they're experiencing exams for the first time, or people are, are bullying them or making fun of them for the first time. This is a big deal to certain people. And you actually, when you were in their place, it was probably a big deal to you as well. Yet God has matured you. God has provided an endurance in your faith that that's not a big deal anymore. But what we, we become tunnel visioned with our own problems. Man, my problems are the worst. My problems are the biggest. Yours are so small. Yours are no big deal. And when we become tunnel visioned, we're no benefit to anyone. We can't encourage others with our faith because we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on our own problem. And while your trial may be unique to you, trials are not unique to one person. We all experience trials. Experiencing trials is not unique to anyone. So just remember that next time you're like, man, I, I'm having a hard time. I can't possibly think about helping anyone else. Are you becoming tunnel visioned in your trial? Have you become too zoomed in on your own suffering that you're experiencing that you don't see that any purpose in your pain? Now, the good thing is, is that endurance is not where God stops when providing for us in our trials. He continues on in verse four. Let's continue reading with another opportunity for joy. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Steadfastness, when fully experienced, produces perfection and completion. We see the second reason why suffering is important is because it makes us more like Christ. Suffering makes us more like Christ. It's not the end, endurance is not the end place God leaves us at when we're going through our trials. He continues to use them to perfect us and complete us. Now, does that mean that we become perfect in our faith? Like, man, I, I don't sin anymore. I've gone through enough trials that I'm perfect. No. James is saying that by enduring trials successfully in your faith, you will be matured in ways that you could not be matured any other way. You couldn't. Think about this from a practical level. If you go into a mine and you're mining for precious metals, gold, silver, whatever, and you find a silver ore, you're like, man, I'm rich. I found a silver ore. You take it to the pawn shop. They are not gonna give you the price per pound of silver for that ore. Why? It's silver, yes, but there's tons of other things in it. There's other rocks, there's other impurities in it. So you, what do you do? You take your ore, you go down and you, you crush it into a dust or small stones and you throw it into a furnace and you melt it down. And by doing this, melting it down, it gets rid of all the other impurities in the metal or in the stone and you're left with a nice little block of silver. And that, that's the process that God is doing in us. And as you continue to, to remelt down that silver each time over, you're getting rid of more and more impurities. And this is the same thing that trials do in our lives. God uses trials to make us more like him. He uses trials to refine us and to purify us. We see that God puts us through fires in order to become purified in our faith. Now, I love that God has made our faith practical and not impractical. He truly knows us best as creator. Now this concept of enduring trials for good is everywhere. We see it in a natural way in tons of different areas. Diamonds are formed under immense pressure. An athlete trains their muscles and breaks them down so they can grow back stronger, stronger and be better than before. Runners run long distances to build their lung capacity and their heart rates. So they can breathe more oxygen the next time they go out on a run. 
even on a practical level on your daily life. If you're going through tons of stress in work, your capacity is being stretched, you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna make it, sleepless nights, you endure, you endure. Guess what? When life goes back to the same level of stress you had before, it's gonna be a lot easier because you know, I've been through that. I did that. I can handle that more than I could before. James is calling all believers to look at their trials from a spiritual perspective. This is an opportunity to be purified by God. You don't welcome the pain. We don't love the pain that we experience, but we praise God for making us more like Christ. Are you starting to see why James wants Christians to find joy in suffering? It can be hard to see in the moment when you're enduring the trial, how is their purpose in the pain? But even in your darkest moments, God will draw you to him and he will mature you in your faith. Have you noticed that when you're at your lowest is when you pray the most? When you're going through suffering or trials is when you're calling out to God even more. When you're enduring what seems like unendurable pain, it's when you're most aware of your spiritual shortcomings. God really shows us our blind spots in our lives or our unrepentant sin that we need to repent of. We need to get rid of that. These are reality checks. Trials are reality checks for us. When you're going through a trial, you're not usually thinking about who's playing in the game tonight, right? You're not usually thinking about who unfollowed me on social media when you're going through a trial. Trials force us to let go of what is unnecessary and hold tightly to what's important to us. Now, this may be another reason why trials are so painful for each of us. When we're going through them and experiencing them, God may be burning out impurities in your life that you don't wanna get rid of. Sometimes we cling tightly to the things of the world. We make that our main priority and God is peeling back our hands and taking out our idols and revealing to us what really is important and what matters. And if God is refining us and making us more like him in these trials, it's gonna be painful. It's gonna be hard at times. Your hobbies that became idols are getting called out. Your anger that you've been holding on to comes to the surface. Your cool composure that you thought you couldn't be phased by, you get rattled and you see you weren't actually living the life that you claimed you were. You can't fake a proper Christian life when you're going through trials. You can't fake it. You can't have one foot in both worlds. And this verse, there's another verse that's a good reminder to us what we should, our mindset should be and what our perspective should be during these pains. And it's in Romans 12, verse nine. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Maybe you need to make this verse your prayer for the next couple of weeks. God, teach me to reject what is evil and cause me to hold tightly to what is good and what is true. I wanna hold tightly to what you have called me to. Why are trials opportunities to rejoice or find joy in? Because God is refining you. He's making you more like him. Nobody said it wasn't gonna be painful. Nobody said it was gonna be easy, but every trial has purpose and an opportunity for you to be made more like Christ. And as we're hearing this, you should be seeing some echoes of the gospel through this that are just gonna come clear as day. When you look at Jesus' death on the cross, we just celebrated this at Easter, when you see his death on the cross, you think, how could this be anything but a win for the enemy? How could his death be anything but bad? The suffering that he went through, dying on the cross, 
But a verse that rang true thousands of years ago still rings true today in Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, as for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. God takes what appears to have no value. He takes death, he takes suffering, he takes hardship, trials, and God uses these to offer life, to offer reconciliation, to offer restoration and refinement in our faith. What seems to be utter defeat on the cross, God takes and turns it into our greatest victory. Hallelujah about that. He has freed us from our sins by dying on the cross. What looks like a loss is our greatest win. Jesus has done what no other person could do. So we rejoice. We rejoice in the trial, not because we like that Jesus died, not because we enjoy the suffering that he endured, but because of what God has done through the suffering, what God made happen through Jesus' death on the cross. That's why we find joy, because God has used the trials of life to bring joy in. He has set us free through Christ's suffering. And when you are suffering, you can find joy too. Not rejoicing because you like being sick or you like being ill or because you enjoy the pain, but we rejoice because God uses our suffering for good. He makes us more like him and he does it in ways that, he could, that we could not any other way except through our hardship. So how do you respond when you face trials and hardships? What's your natural response? Do you thank God for the refinement that he's doing in your life? or are you left to despair? A proper perspective in our pain will remind you that through enduring, God is maturing you. He's making you more like Christ. And when suffering makes us more like Christ, we lean on God. There's a third reason as to why Christians can find joy in suffering, and it continues from verse five to eight. Christians can find joy in suffering because suffering causes us to lean on God, causes us to seek him for wisdom. Let's read verses five to eight. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The closer we get to God, the more we realize we don't have all the answers. We don't, that we need to rely on God to provide for us. In fact, becoming more like Christ does not make us more independent, but it makes us more dependent on God. We go to him more. We ask him for wisdom more. We seek his ways more. Isn't it interesting how James in the previous verses that we read said that when we endure joyfully, we made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Yet this passage starts with, if anyone is lacking wisdom. James is revealing none of us have arrived. None of us have made it to our final spot yet. We wrestle with trials. We need directions from God. And the wisdom that James is referring to here is the ability to understand God's ways and to act accordingly. Do you know God's ways and are you acting them accordingly? If not, call upon God, ask God for wisdom. What does God say? Anyone who asks for wisdom on how to live his way and how to properly act according to that will be given it freely. You will have it, it's yours. God says, anyone who asks, it's yours. However, there's one clause and the clause is when you ask, you must ask in faith and not doubt. Now, what does that mean? 
How do I know that I've asked God in faith for wisdom? How do I know that I haven't doubted God? It means that you fully trust in the Lord when you ask. If you trust in the Lord, God will provide, but if you doubt God, he will not give you any wisdom. What would you think if you were at a swim meet and you saw a race beginning and you saw someone get in the pool with floaties on their arms? You'd think this, this guy has no chance of winning. There's, there's, are the lifeguards watching? Is probably what you'd be thinking. It's not gonna happen. If you were watching the Olympics and you saw a swimmer have a life vest on and a floaty around their waist, slowly creeping into the pool, You'd think this person has no confidence in their swimming ability. Why are they even here? How do they even make it here is probably what you'd ask yourself there. You'd, and while there's no guarantee that you'll, uh, you'll get out of a pool every time you get in it, regardless of how skilled you are at swimming, these professional swimmers have a confidence in their own ability. They're not worried about drowning. They're not wor worried about other situations. And while that will likely never happen, it's pretty comical, People ask God for wisdom all the time and don't receive it because they don't ask wholeheartedly. They don't fully trust him. Yeah, God, I do wanna know your ways. I do wanna hear what you have to say, but I also wanna see what other people have to say too. We treat God like a Google search entry. Entry. We punch it in, we ask God for wisdom. He gives us our answer and we're like, that's good, but I also wanna see what other people have to say. I kinda wanna see what else there is going on. Some, some I might like a little bit better. I wanna check that out. And we don't receive God's wisdom because we ask not in faith, but we're doubting him. Do you trust in the Lord and that his plans are good for you? Yes or no? If you answer yes, God will give you wisdom. If you don't fully trust the Lord and you ask for wisdom, you will not be given God's wisdom. Doubt is the only inhibitor to our wisdom that God is giving us. Now, the ironic thing about this is that God's track record is spotless. Well, there's no guarantee that you'll get out of a pool if you jump in a pool, regardless of your skill level. God's ways are always best. There is no other way that's better than God's. He's not asking you to blindly trust him. Look at his resume, look at his track record. He's never failed to meet the needs of his people. He's never left his people out to dry. He's always showed up. He's always come through and provided their needs not to mention that he created you and he knows you better than you even know yourself. When we doubt God, we're not leaning into his wisdom. We're not relying on God to provide for us. We become independent, we become prideful. We look like that swimmer trying to win a race with floaties on, it's not gonna happen. The passage says that people like that are like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed or driven by the winds. Where do they find direction? Wherever the wind's blowing. These people are influenced by whatever's in front of them. What are their convictions? Whatever the convictions are, people around me. I have, my own, no, I have no real conviction, just what everyone else says is my conviction. That's what I believe. This is not only a stressful way to live, but a foolish attempt to get through life. It'd be like I'm saying, I'm gonna go run to my friend's house and then hopping on a treadmill and starting running. I'm getting nowhere. Yeah, I'm putting in a lot of work and I'm trying real hard, but I'm making no progress. I'm not, it's not gonna happen. It's, I'm not gonna get what I desire. We need God's direction in our trials. We need God to show up. We need to discern how to properly discipline our kids. If I should continue a relationship or not, when your family are asking things of you that's against your conviction, when making financial decisions, this is a big thing that's happening here 
around the world, but especially in Canada, with inflation the way that it is, what do I use my money on? Do I just keep it in a bank? Do I invest in certain things? There are so many decisions we make every single day that we need God's wisdom to take the right steps. If we should move or not, what we should do, we face these conflicts and we need God's wisdom. We need to rely on God and ask, is this right for me now? Show me how I should be living and show me how I can act accordingly. Trusting him, even when you can't see the end result. It causes us to recognize we don't have all the answers. I don't know it all. I don't have everything figured out. In fact, the more I learn about God and the more I become like Christ, the more I recognize I need him even more than I did before. I need him even more tomorrow than I do today because I realize how great our God is and how small I am. That leads us to seeking after him and asking him to provide for us what we can't provide for ourselves. So we ask for wisdom. God has clearly laid out why finding joy in trials is possible for Christians. We should seek joy in trials. It produces endurance in us. It makes us more like Christ. It causes us to lean on God. But sometimes when you're going through trials and all you can see is what, in front, what is in front of you and it looks like there's no end, we are led to despair. We feel hopeless. And the final way in this passage that God calls us to find joy in suffering is a big pan out of the camera. It's almost like each step we've taken one zoom further out in the picture of life. You, you see your suffering, it's producing endurance. You see your suffering, it's making you more like Christ. You see your suffering, God's using it for you to lean on him. But sometimes it doesn't seem like we'll possibly escape our trials here in this world. Maybe we'll suffer with something to the day that we die. What hope is there in that? And the final thing that God uses for us to find joy in suffering is that suffering reminds us of eternal hope. It does. We're gonna jump to verse 12 as we, for our final point here. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The previous verses that we read almost feels like we're in the trial. We can't see what's going on. Is there value in God's commanding us? Endure, find joy, continue to find joy, find joy. And here it's almost like we're looking back at this verse and God saying, blessed are you when you remain faithful. Blessed are you when you have done the right thing, when you have found joy, when you have been steadfast, when you have endured. We're called to look at the completion of the commands that we were given. Look at what happens at the end. Look to the end. When you endure trials, blessed are you, not only because you receive spiritual maturity, not only because you relied on God, but God has given you eternal life. A life of spiritual endurance leads to the fulfillment of God's promises. When the race of life is completed, when you've obeyed God's commands by finding endurance in him, you will receive the crown of life, is what this passage says. Now, crowns were often given out to athletes in competitions for winning or for going through the most pain, whether it's in an arena or in a sporting event. They were crowned the, the king or the, the winner, rather, of the event 
right? They give, they're given the crown in that situation. And as we've already seen some kind of parallels between physical endurance and spiritual endurance, James makes this comparison once more. Just as the athlete is crowned victorious at the end for enduring, you too will be crowned at the end of your life for enduring in faith is what we see. This is a future hope verse. This points us to the future beyond the pain, beyond the trials that we experience in our lives. In the midst of trials, it can be very tempting to want to run, to want to avoid, to give up. How can there be any hope? This seems like the end right in front of me. When is it going to end? But there is hope. When we endure, we will receive the crown of life. And that light of eternity should outshine any darkness that we see in this world. It should, it should shine brighter than any darkness. This world is not our home and we should not cling so tightly to it. The trials do a good job of revealing our attachment to the things around us. Have you ever been reminded of something you thought was super important and then you look back and like, man, I can't believe I made a big deal about that. I can't believe I cared so much about that. Maybe you got mad at a friend or your spouse, you get in this really big argument, you just can't seem to let it go. Then you go away and cool down. You're like, man, why do I even care about that? Why is that such a big deal? That means nothing to me anymore. Why did I care? And when we endure these trials, we become rooted in what really matters, our future hope. We let go of the things that don't matter. The things of this world don't become so shiny. They don't become so important to us anymore because we see the reality of our world. It's darkness around us. There is no hope here in this world, but our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in him. And I mentioned earlier that my wife and I have gone through a couple of, of miscarriages lately, and this has done a, a phenomenal job of revealing to us just the darkness in this world, right? Our desire is to have kids. Our desire is ne not necessarily a bad thing. It seems like a good thing, but maybe God doesn't have that in the plans for us. And it breaks some of our expectations or our desires in life and it causes us to really look forward at what matters. What, what really matters? This world is not our home. It's not. We're longing for what God has in store in the future. We're longing for that. We begin to withdraw some of our roots. We begin to pull up some of our anchors that we've placed in our own expectations, in our own desires for this world. And we're seeing the light of eternity and it outshines the darkness of the world around us because we're longing for a better place. <clears throat> a place without mourning, a place without suffering, a place without death. The darkness of suffering points to the light of eternity. That's what this verse is trying to show us. Christians can find joy in the midst of suffering because we are given the assurance that suffering is not permanent. It's not permanent. We may wrestle with trials and hardships. You may wrestle to the day that you die. You may wrestle for 70 more years with your trial or your hardship. But God has promised that when we endure, we will receive the crown of life. He will welcome us into eternal life. We are heirs to his kingdom because God has a love for us. Suffering is temporary. The results are forever. This is the perspective that we must have. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna white knuckle your way through life, refusing to let go of the things that you claim are so important to you? This world and your time here are not permanent. You don't know how much longer you will have or anyone you love will have, you don't. And that can cause us to be sad or often lead us to despair 
if your hope is in the world, if your hope is in what's in front of you, God is calling you to look beyond what's right in front of you. Look to the future, look beyond it, look beyond your trial, look further, look beyond what's right in front of you and your expectations for life. What if the rest of your life goes completely different than what you expected or what you had hoped in this life? What if the rest of your your time here on earth goes completely different than the plans that you have made? How would you feel? How would you react? What would be your perspective? Will you be drawn closer to God and become homesick for your future glory? Then it would be worth it. It would be worth it in that situation. It would be worth the trials. It would be worth the suffering and enduring because those results are forever. An athlete that endures to win the championship is crowned victorious, but the next year, someone else wins the championship. Four years from then, someone else wins the competition. The glory of the win fades, their trophy gets dirty, their names are eventually forgotten. And that's, that's the crown that they receive. That's the prize they win. But those who remain faithful to God through their trials will receive an inheritance and a prize that is imperishable. The reward that we receive cannot be taken away by anyone. It will never fade. It will always last. So we endure. We suffer hardships because of what God has promised us. And guess what? When we get to heaven with the rewards that God has given us and the crowns that we have gained for living faithfully, we're going to lay them down at his feet because he is so glorious in our presence. We will worship him and lay them down at his feet. You're going to experience trials in this life. You will, you can't escape it. Will your faith crumble when you experience them or are you prepared to handle them well? James has called us to look at our trials from a spiritual perspective and know that we can find joy regardless of our circumstances. And that's the call that we received today. 